I'm going to ask you to turn uh, in your Bibles to Job chapter 1 this morning. Last Sunday, as we're looking about the truth series, uh, we looked at the truth about angels uh, last week, and what the Bible has to say about some of uh, angelic presence. And so it's only right to talk about one of those angels, uh, Satan, and those that followed him. Uh, that came out of that angelic host that God created. Of course, the Bible knows him as the adversary or the devil. Um, this is different terminology used to the opposition of God. And I, I wonder uh, how it might change your listening if somehow God opened up your eyes to see the spiritual realm. And that somehow, some way, we could have a physical presence of Satan here. Or the other demonic followers of Satan. If, for instance, you saw in a blank, empty pew, a demon sitting next to you. How would that change your listening? What if it was the demon of slumber? How would that change? You know that, you know, that, that there are many in church that do believe that Satan can work in slumbering. Uh, I, I think it might impact how we listen, especially uh, if we're talking about Satan. And I, I'm pretty keenly aware that the enemy doesn't like us talking about Satan. Because one of the strategies of Satan is to help us to get to places like this without thinking about evil presence. Some of the strategy of Satan is to get you so scared of evil, but the other thing is to get you so forgetful and callous to evil so that you could never imagine that a demon would be sitting or demons would be in this room. Even just saying that to you, you find preposterous. Could it very well be that the liar is lying? The Bible calls Satan the great liar, the great deceiver. And so, consequently, the things that are given to us from him will be a twisting of the truth. And it may be to say, surely there is no such thing as demonic presences, and surely not in such a sweet place like Green Pines. I think that if that was true, then the scripture would be wrong. That scripture seems to suggest that when God's people gather together... There will be an attraction of the enemy. And so it is helpful for us to know some of the strategy of Satan, some of his power, and some of his limits. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. What is the power of Satan and what are some of the limits of Satan, especially as presented to us in the book of Job. Uh, and we see it kind of concentrated in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. Every once in a while engage with a nerf battle. Uh, with my sons, and it's one of the great delights I have when I come home every once in a while to just to go all out and just, you know, surprise them and uh, attack them. But I have to admit, it's not quite the same as when you do a paintball war. Uh, and so a, a paintball war someday I'll probably do with them. Um, and that that is a little bit more intense because there's a little bit more pain when you get shot with a paintball. And so there's been two or three times I've I've played paintball and it kind of for those of us who are never in battle it's like well you know um maybe all the fun without any of the bad stuff and just 
you know, let me pretend once again like I'm seven and I'm fighting in a war. And so one of the things that will happen is you try to sneak up on somebody. I'll never forget the time when, when the first uh, uh, hint I had that there was the enemy side in my area was when I felt the bullets, the paintballs hitting my sides. And you think, man, if I could only just had seen and known and been aware of the tactic and what the enemy was doing. And so the, when we look at this passage, I, I personally am of the thought that the, the Satan does not want attention given to him. There is uh, things in scripture that tell us a little bit about who he is, uh, but he is actively working against such knowledge. So I'm fairly keenly aware that when I talk about Satan, he doesn't like it. He's working against it. And so, with all of that, still, let's proceed to Job chapter 1. Looking at this fascinating story uh, of Job, God, and Satan. This is one of the uh, first books chronologically written that we know of on the book of Job. And so interesting enough how it talks about Satan. When we see in the Garden of Eden, we talked about how there was, seems to be the angelic presence before the Garden of Eden. And that there was a cherub used to protect the tree of life. But we also know not only where there's an angelic presence, there is a satanic presence. So not only were angels in existence before the Garden of Eden, but also the revolt of, uh, of Satan as he is the one who is tempting in the garden. Nonetheless, let's start with verse 6, and let's just notice what God says about Satan and what Satan's able to do uh, as we read this together. Let's stand as this is God's word. We're going to read chapter 1, verse 6 through 12, then chapter 2, 1 through 7. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Then chapter 2. One, again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. 
But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. You may be seated. It's a frightening conversation, is it not? It's one that in the scripture Job really never has privy to. This battle seems to be unknowingly happening behind Job's eyes and his head and his life. But scripture seems to reveal what is going on in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm. Just so you know, we often have very little knowledge of what's going on behind the scenes. And so we have to be very careful anytime someone says and speaks for God and says, this is why God did such and such. We just don't have that knowledge. But as we look at this, there are some very important clues as to the power of Satan. What kind of power does Satan have? First of all, as we read in chapter 1, verse 6, it talks about the sons of God came to present themselves. This is another phrasing for the angels. You remember the word literally means messengers. And so this is a time when the messengers, the spiritual realm, the angelic uh, beings are before God, and here comes Satan. And so this lets us know what kind of power does Satan have First, we know that Satan has access to God. We know that this one was made by God. He was not made to be the adversary, but due to this pride of Satan, he turns and twists his own will against God. We see some interesting passages that speak and hints toward this. One of them is found in Isaiah chapter 14. In Isaiah chapter 14, it seems to have a near prophecy and a far off prophecy. In other words, oftentimes in the Old Testament, you'll see a prophecy given to a recent or, or near future uh, incident. But then there will be a far reaching either in eternity past or in times to come that speaks to a larger fulfillment. We see this often uh, in concerning the Messiah uh, in the Old Testament. But in Ezekiel chapter 14, it uh, has this uh, passage, or Isaiah, uh, rather, chapter 14, I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 14, it has this uh, reference re- referring to a prince of Tyre that seems to be somewhat of a near fulfillment. But in verse 12 through 15, it has some uh, mentions here, some uh, descriptions that cannot fit a human It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol. To the far reaches of the pit. And so this is uh, perhaps an indication of some of what is going on in this adversary. This one who is made so high and lofty. Uh, You see a similar passage in in Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 12 through 17. I'll let you read that on your own. And then also in Jude 6 
Jude 6 is a reference of the angelic hosts that are revolting against God. And so these passages leads us to understand that even before mankind was walking in the Garden of Eden, that there was the angelic host that God had made, and in the midst of this was one who was made as a mighty cherubim, a mighty powerful one that becomes full with his own beauty and says to himself, he will be like God. And according to Jude 6, not only did Satan do this, but others followed suit. And this is how we know demons today. These are spiritual beings that have revolted against God. They were made by God, but not made to be the adversary. But due to pride has turned against them. And this will lead us up to what we're going to talk about next week, Lord willing, hell. All right, so we're getting to go from one thing to another, all right? Uh, And so that'll be next week as we look at hell. Uh, And so as we read this passage, what kind of power does he have? Not only does he have access to God, but we see that in uh, Job, he has a measure of power over the physical forces. You notice... uh, uh, what he is able to accomplish in the life of Job was uh, degrees of physical torment uh, over the physical forces at work. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, referring to Satan, says, And once you once walked according to this cur- course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And so it refers to Satan as one who is the prince of the power of air, who has control over um, physical forces on earth today to some degree. Why do I say to some degree? Because God is still God. And interesting enough, you see that he has to go before God still and exerting this power. We see in John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus is referring to, to this world and says now is the judgment of this world now the ruler of this world will be cast out and so jesus himself declares in john 12 that there will be a day and time when the working of satan will come to an end and he will get his final uh, results his final overthrow but that time has not yet come when jesus came he introduces the kingdom of god operating in this world and as hearts surrender to the reign of jesus christ the kingdom of god is growing in us and around us but it's not fully realized and it will be fully realized when jesus reigns in presence and in and on power on earth and satan then is expelled until that time comes it is the kingdom is here but not yet fully realized which means satan has been defeated But not fully yet has it been realized. The power is still working in the world today. So, not only does he have a measure of power over the physical forces. You notice uh, what happens here uh, with uh, happening in Job's life. We also read in the scripture that Satan has a measure of power over ungodly minds. You see this even as we read what happens in Job. What happens when Satan is at work? Well, you see that there are raiders who are coming, and they are destroying his family and destroy his crops. And so there are ungodly minds at work and are doing the will of Satan. We see physical forces at work. We see a great storm that takes place that wipes out a house 
uh, and destroys his family. So when I think of natural disasters today, I am still seeing satanic influences at work. Often we want to, uh, when we see tornadic activity, we see flooding, we see earthquakes, and we, and we understand that God is in charge and God could have stopped this. But God has allowed his system to take place where Satan can work in natural disaster. I, I believe that as the scripture presents this, that before sin came in, there was no such thing as a tornado. Hurricanes, earthquakes, flooding, lightning. Sin has come in. It has influenced the fabric of this world. And Satan is able to activate and work in these things still. And so you need to understand the great power of Satan. So just think for a second as we read the scripture. God gives permission to Job, to Satan. And a storm comes and wipes out some of his family. A fire of God fell from heaven, he said in verse 16, burned up the sheep and service and consumed them, and I alone escaped to tell you. And so you see nature seeming to be at the uh, beck and call of Satan himself, uh, as well as the Sabaeans, the raiders, the ungodly ones, are doing the will of Satan uh, as Satan is working his agenda. So Satan has a measure of power over ungodly minds. You see this in the raid. You see this in the words of his wife as you read the book of Job. Uh, his wife uh, is encouraging Job to say, just curse God and die. You know, just get it over with. And so uh, through his wife, Satan is speaking uh, into uh, Job's life. We see this happening in Jesus' time. In Matthew chapter 16, there's this great encounter that, that uh, Jesus has with Peter. And Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And, and Jesus is saying, Peter, God has revealed that to you. But then in Matthew chapter 16, he keeps on, and we find in verse 23, when Jesus starts talking about his own cross, his crucifixion, then Peter starts stepping up and speaking up again and says, Master, this must not be. No, you cannot be crucified. This can't happen. And so then Jesus says to Peter and calls him, Satan, get behind me. Now that's pretty tough, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's bad for anyone to call you Satan. But if Jesus calls you Satan, you've got you to do some self-evaluation here. All right? So Peter just got called Satan by Jesus. What, what has happened? Peter was operating out of fear operating out of what is most comfortable to him. And as such, he was feeding right into the atmosphere of the world, our comfort and our fear. And such, it was Satan exerting through Peter. So if that can happen to Peter, can it happen to us? Not every voice that crosses your mind is a voice to listen to. We need to understand that. That's fundamental to struggling in this life. And so there is the power of Satan even over ungodly minds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, Whose minds the gods of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. It is telling us that even those who are hearing the gospel cannot understand the gospel, the beauty of who Jesus is, 
because there is blinders going on enacted by Satan in our, in our life. In fact, in 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is encouraging them to pray for someone who has been ensnared by the devil, having been taken captive by Satan to do his will. So why is it important to pray? Because we cannot fight the forces of Satan with our power. We must have the power of God. And God has given us prayer to do that. So we see also that Satan has a measure of power over ungodly minds. He has a measure of power over physical forces. He is made by God, but is revolted against God. But we also see that Satan has a measure of power over even our physical health. You see that in Job's life? God, here's Satan. Satan says, well, you know, you've protected him. His life is good. And God says, okay, I will allow his body to be touched. Just you cannot take his life. And so we see this come out in the result of sore, sore boils all over him in chapter 2, verse 7. In chapter 2, verse 12, he has a disfigured face. And unrecognizable. In chapter 3, verse 24, he loses his appetite. He can barely eat. In chapter 7, verse 5, he has some kind of warm infestation. Sounds terrible. Chapter 9, verse 18, he has difficult breathing. In chapter 19, verse 17, he has bad breath. Uh, <laughs> chapter 30, what's this? Chapter 30, verse 30, his skin has become blackened and darkened with some kind of disease. And these are the effects of whatever's going on in his body, physical ailments taking place, we see as the result of Satan working in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul is understanding that, and it makes this statement that a messenger of Satan has come to buffet my body. And so it, it was speaking to some kind of physical ailment that takes place. And so we realize by reading this passage that Satan can impair the health of anyone. And so this is some of the power of Satan. This is angelic, supernatural power at work. And I think one of the things that we need to understand is, is that there is a mighty enemy, mightier than you, at work in your life. So let me quickly go over to the limits. Limits. Of Satan. Alright, there is some good news here. What are the limits of Satan as we see this in Scripture? First, as we see in chapter 1, verse 7, notice the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. That can be alarming to us to know that he can be aware, he can be there among us, and for a very specific purpose. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, I think, is banking on this truth when he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But here's the good news in this. Satan is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at once. That is a characteristic unique to God. Only he is able to be everywhere at once. Satan cannot be everywhere at once. Now, there are demonic followers of a number we do not know. 
And so there can be a very strong satanic presence, an evil presence, all throughout this world at one given time. But from the scripture, we know that Satan can be at only one place at one time. And his purposes are not good. I think about this and we're going to see something else here that's very important. Not only is the presence limited, Satan is not omniscient, all right? He's not all-knowing. How do we know that? Well, you see this in, in Scripture where how he is inter- interacting with God here and is basically saying to God, you know, Job wouldn't be all that great if things were taken away from him, if his prosperity was removed or if his health was removed from him. So what does that tell us? Job did not disobey. He stayed true. Satan was wrong. Satan did not know the future decisions of his creation, of God's creation. So his, his knowing is limited. Sometimes you think, well, because does Satan know what you're thinking? Now that is something unique to God. He alone knows what you're thinking. But you know what? You don't have to always know what you're thinking to know what you're thinking. Right? Right? Those who live with other people out of trend, out of observation, out of how you're known, you can make certain predictions, all right? So, uh, but that being said, Satan does not, cannot read your mind. He does not know the future decisions of his creation. God knew that Job would stay true. I find a lot of comfort in knowing that Satan doesn't know all my future decisions. There can be surprises that are yet done. I'm going to share with you that God is not surprised. It would be a terrible day if God ever said, wow, I didn't see that coming. In scripture, it's never revealed that that is true of God. He knows all the future decisions, whereby Satan, on the other hand, is, wow, I didn't see that coming i.e. resurrection, how God would use the very things of Satan and turn it against him. So there is uh, not, Satan is not omnipresent, he is not omniscient, and his power is checked by God's power. First of all, I would just bring to your, your thought here that Satan has to be allowed in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. He cannot just do as he wants with free reign, only what God has allowed. I think about this when I read Luke chapter 22, verse 31, where Jesus is speaking to Peter, and the cross is right before him, and he's warning Peter, and he says, Satan has demanded to have you, Peter, that he might sift you like wheat. How did Jesus know that? Evidently, at some uh, spiritual realm, Satan was asking for Peter, and Jesus knew. And gave warning to Peter. And so what was the warning? Watch and pray. You'll see the same remedy over and over and over again when it comes to satanic activity. Watch and pray. Because prayer is the lifeline to God's working. I was able to talk with the 
some, spirit, uh, some special forces men many years ago, and they were just kind of introducing us to the camp and uh, showing us what uh, some of the things were. And they had such a thing called a debriefing. Sounded really intriguing. I learned it was just one boring class. Doesn't sound nearly as fun uh, when you're actually sitting in a military debriefing. But they were uh, showing us, uh, teaching us about how some of the special forces at work, and, and they have these force multipliers. They'll come in, and these special forces will come in with just a small group of people with just a carbine and a couple of tools with them, but they will get with others, and they have the ability to shoot not a gun with bullets, but to shoot a designating target on an object. And with this designating target, they call it in, and the airstrikes come in. To lay down the heavy firepower. You see, what we're operating with is that we may be in hostile territory. And a a world that has the reign of Christ, a reign of Satan at work. But he's given us some tools. And one of them is prayer that acts like a, a, a target designator to say, let the power of God be released. And this is where watch and prayer is often given. But here we see in Luke 22, 31, that there's this seeking of permission. That has to be done. So his power is checked. Satan's power is checked by God's power. We see in chapter 1 verse 9 and chapter 2 verse 4 that there seems to be a hedge. Uh, we see that in verse 10. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house? And so there is this acknowledgement. God can put limits and abound on, on any one person that he wants and says, Satan, you cannot go any further than this point. So there is a hedge. Not only does God has a hedge of protection, he has a reason in allowing Satan to do what he's doing. And not only does he have a reason, he has a resolution to it. That's part of what hell is about and part of what heaven is about. See, God has allowed this world to exist. This is not the best possible world. Do you understand that? It doesn't take long to figure that out. There's some great things God-glorifying things about this world. But it's not the best possible world. This uh, best possible world is where we freely love God, and yet we are forever removed from sin. Here you can freely love God by the, by the power of God's Spirit at work, but we're not removed from sin, are we? So he's allowed this sin to continue to give us an option of freely loving God, but there will be a day and time when the sin will be removed and God's best world would be given where he is in control and Satan is not allowed any freedom. There is a resolution coming, and we'll look at that in the future. We see uh, the limits of Satan at work here, and, and that power is a, a, a God-given tool to deal with Satan. But not only the power, but this Holy Spirit is given to us to give us control and working and limits of Satan. You see, interesting enough, some powerful scriptures where it talks about spiritual activity. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it talks about how we're not wrestling against, um, against just rulers of this flesh, but against principalities and powers of the air. So when we are wrestling with people, we're not wrestling with people. We're wrestling with the spiritual forces that's behind us. And so Ephesians 6 says, be strong in the power of the Lord. It talks about putting on the spiritual armor. And again, the, the two offensive weapons is the word of God, the sword of the spirit, or the word of the spirit, which is the word of God, and then prayer. 
And so we see that it involves spiritual activity and encourages us to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. We see some other interesting passages in that same uh, uh, book, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. I want you to understand that Satan and his demonic activity can be at work in a church, including this one. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Be angry and do not sin, verse 26. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Interesting. Do you understand that a bitter spirit, unforgiving spirit, is a foothold of Satan working in the life of you and in the church? So when there is unresolved issues of unforgiveness or anger, you're just opening the door for Satan to work. You see something similar in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, which says, Do not be outwitted by Satan. Do not be outwitted by Satan. In that same context, he talks about being forgiven, forgiving one another. So one of the hardest things that we can get into is an uh, incident with someone else where we hold some resentment against someone, and you're making room for Satan to work in your life and the life of the church itself. You say, well, well Pastor, you know, I, it seems to me that if, if the Spirit of God is in your life, uh, if you're a Christian, aren't you off limits to Satan? Where'd you get that? I like to know because I, I want to read it myself. You don't see that in the Bible. In fact, this idea of demon possession, when you read the scripture, the, the, the terminology is actually demon, demonizing. You don't see the, the words demon possession, you see demonizing. You know what that means? It is the spiritual activity of the demons. I would present to you from Scripture that the only safe place against satanic influence in your mind and in your heart is that heart that is surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Terminology is used, be filled with the Spirit. But unfortunately, what we feel is common today is to have some profession of Jesus Christ, some baptism incident that we've had in our life, some church membership that we've had, some Bible reading, some church attendance, and then somehow we think that is enough, and you say, Pastor, please, Satan cannot influence me. He cannot possess me, can he? That's just not in the Scripture. The safe place is surrender to the Holy Spirit. To say that he's king. He's king in our life. And so, I want to take you to James chapter 4. I got to watch a, a video this past week that kind of brought back some memories. It was a, a video of a guy on a, a paddleboard. He had his camera, you know, they get these cameras on the paddleboard. And he was out in the ocean and just catching waves. And uh, this shark... Uh, jumped up, hit the board, and he kind of did this little step off and fell off the board into the ocean with the shark. Um, and I was just thinking through what that must have felt like. Um, you know, 
I've done some silly things uh, in my past. I probably will again in the future. Um, but one of the things was just being out in the ocean, uh, surfing when I was young with a cut on my leg near a pier at dusk. You know, everything you say not to do, you know. Um, but there's no, you know, youth like, well, that doesn't happen to me, right? Um, but, you know, after a while, <laughs> you know, you're just out there and I was like, well, I don't want to just paddle in. Just a little wave catch me in the end. But after a while, it starts to get to you, and you lift up your leg, and I see this blood coming down, and I start having all these little facts coming in, like, you know, sharks can smell a droplet of blood for so many miles, and it's like, yeah, I, I went in. I went in. It's like, okay, my stupidity has a limit. Uh, but, you know, I think about that, and we know that's silly. If I knew a great white shark was out there or any other pretty bad shark, it should change our behavior, right? We don't jump off the surfboard with a bleeding ankle near a pier at dusk. Because you know what the shark can do. And so I just would present to you, there are sharks, spiritual adversaries that are roaring, roaming about, seeking whom they might devour And if we're not going to do that in the ocean with sharks, then how on earth are we going to walk this world letting unforgiveness be in our heart, letting anger uh, reside in our life, knowing full well it's just like sitting in the ocean with a bleeding foot. You're just fair game for demonizing work to happen in our life. So James chapter 4. Let's start with verse verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You know, that means surrender. Surrender to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? By submitting yourself to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. First John chapter 4, verse 4, talks about the enemy that is in this world. So, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Listen, Satan is powerful. He's given some, been given some reign by God for a season that includes even natural disasters, includes your physical well-being, includes very, your very mind. But, 
there is someone greater. And he is wanting to work in your mind, in your heart. And he will not force his way. Satan will work in your heart and mind whether you want him to or not. He doesn't ask. He doesn't wait for you to yield. But God is waiting for you to yield. To glorify God by choosing him. In your spirit. And in your heart. And when you say, dear God, I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. You're humbling yourself. God, I believe that you died for my sins, that you rose again. I want to make you Lord. You are submitting yourself to God. You're drawing near to God. And draw. God will come back to you as you draw near to him. And Satan will be resisted by you just simply submitting to God. We do not work against Satan by saying, I got to work against you, Satan. I got to work against you. In fact, don't talk to Satan. Why do you want to pray to him anyway? That's not for you to do. You just talk to God. God, I'm yours. And you're great. And you're greater than any force that can work in my life. So yes, be aware. There is an enemy. It would not doubt one bit if he has his representatives in some form here. I don't tell you that to be scared. I tell you that, to hold on close to the Spirit of God, who also is here and wants to work in your life. And when you walk out those doors, you're either safely surrendered in the arms of Christ, or you are vulnerable to the work of Satan. And it's really an an either-or thing. There's not a middle ground here. What will you do?